from Brian Flores' racial discrimination lawsuit, Ohio's House Bill 616, political ads using Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement to attack, quote, critical race theory, to the confirmation of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. The topic of race seemed to be everywhere the first week of April. Hi, I'm Milton Allen Turner, and this week I'm discussing why the 1619 Project and intersectionality are not, quote, divisive and inherently racist concepts, and why not dealing with race is not only bad policy, it's bad pedagogy. Welcome to this week's episode of Worldviews. I'm a black man, so the topic of race is often front and center in many conversations that I have. But the first week of April 2022, the topic of race seemed to be everywhere. On April 4th, House Bill 616 was introduced in the General Assembly of the state of Ohio, which, among many other things, forbids the promotion or teaching of, quote, divisive or inherently racist concepts. On April 4th, United States Senate candidate from Ohio, Josh Mandel, released a TV ad that starts with a supporter stating, quote, critical race theory is crap, while featuring Mandel crossing and speaking in front of the iconic Edmund Pettus Bridge. April 7th, Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton joined Brian Flores in his racial discrimination and hiring practices lawsuit against the NFL. Also on April 7th, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson was confirmed by the United States Senate to become the first black female associate justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Many people love to point out that race is a social construct and as such has no biological reality. But I always point out that just because it's a social construct does not mean that it doesn't have any real or consequential impacts on our lives. For example, money, nationality, and religion are also social constructs. But no one argues that money has little to no effect on our lives. And how many lives have been lost throughout human history as a result of conflicts between warring nations or warring religions. What's sometimes more dangerous than discrimination based on race is the harm caused by the refusal to see race and its effects on everyone. House Bill 616 was introduced on April 4th in the General Assembly of the State of Ohio regarding, quote, promotion, teaching, divisive, inherently racist concepts. And like in many other states, it's advertised by its sponsors as a, quote, parents' right in education bill. The proposed text of HB 16, 616 states, quote, the school district board shall not select any textbook, 
instructional material, or academic curriculum that promotes any divisive or inherently racist concept described in Section 3313.6029 of the Revised Code. Section 3313.6029A, as used in this section, quote, divisive or inherently racist concepts, unquote, include all of the following. Critical race theory, intersectional theory, the 1619 Project, diversity, equity, and inclusion learning outcomes, inherited racial guilt. The bill further stipulates that the revised code read, quote, no teacher shall receive continuing education credit or other credit required for licensure renewal for any seminar or other program that teaches, promotes, or endorses divisive or inherently racist concepts, unquote. So not just teaching these concepts, but just learning about an award-winning, an award-winning series such as the 1619 Project or learning about diversity, equity, and inclusion would not be allowed. Ohio teachers are required to do nearly 40 hours of professional development each year in order to maintain their license. But if any of these hours contain what this bill defines as, quote, divisive or inherently racist concepts, unquote, the teacher could be sanctioned with, quote, based on the severity of the offense, including but not limited to unofficial licensure admonishment, licensure suspension, or licensure replication, unquote. It's fascinating to note some of the things that are not listed or defined in Section 3313.6029 of the Revised Code as divisive or inherently racist concept. What aren't defined as divisive or inherently racist concepts? Racism, bigotry, or discrimination. In my Season 1, Episode 3 podcast entitled Punch, Perry, Kick, I talked extensively about the misunderstanding and misuse of critical race theory to manufacture controversy. So if you missed that discussion or want a refresher, I invite you to listen to that installment. This week, I'll be discussing the 1619 Project and the idea of intersectionality in more detail. Jake Silverstein addressed why, why critics have attacked the 1619 Project as a, quote, divisive concept in his article entitled, The 1619 Project and the Long Battle Over U.S. History, published in the New York Times Magazine on November 9th, 2021. Silverstein wrote, quote, It's a particularly American irony that the effort to do so has been deemed a, quote, divisive concept and banned from the classroom in 12 states. We may need instead legislation that requires us to study divisive concepts, beginning with the most basic one of all. All men are created equal. As Quarles and others have explained, 
our founding concept of universal equality in a country where one-fifth of the population was enslaved led to an increase in racial prejudice by creating a cognitive dissonance, one that can only be resolved by the white citizenry's assumption of black inferiority and inhumanity. It's an unsettling idea that the most revered ideal of the Declaration of Independence might be considered our original divisive concept. Silverstein continued, devotion to the traditional origin story of the United States and the hostile reaction that has greeted nearly every attempt to revise it has prevented generations of Americans from learning how to accept this fundamental contradiction at our core, the painful twinning of slavery and democracy that began as far back as the summer of 1619. But as we've seen in a democratic nation, history does not stand still. As our country has moved forward from its imperfect beginnings, haltingly expanding its audacious promise to enfranchise more and more of us, our history has transformed behind us, rearranging itself as the advance of our founding principles enables us to see more of our American ancestors as having had a legitimate, recoverable perspective on the events of their own day. In her article, The Intersectionality Wars, published in Vox on May 28, 2019, Jane Coaston explained the history of how conservatives came to object to this concept. Coaston wrote, quote, There may not be a word in American conservatism more hated right now than intersectionality. On the right, intersectionality is seen as, quote, the new caste system, placing non-white, non-heterosexual people on top. To many conservatives, intersectionality means, quote, because you're a minority, you get special standards, special treatment in the eyes of some, unquote. It, quote, promotes solipsism at the personal level and division at the social level, unquote. It represents a form of feminism that, quote, puts a label on you. It tells you how oppressed you are. It tells you what you're allowed to say what you're allowed to think. Intersectionality is thus really dangerous or a conspiracy theory of victimization. Coaston continued, Kimberly Crenshaw argues in her paper that by treating black women as purely women or purely black, the courts, as they did in 1976, have repeatedly ignored specific challenges that face black women as a group. Intersectionality was a prism that brings to light dynamics within discrimination law that weren't being appreciated by the courts, Crenshaw said. 
In particular, courts seem to think that race discrimination was what happened to all black people across gender. And sex discrimination was what happened to all women. And if that is your framework, of course, what happens to black women or other women of color is going to be difficult to see. Crenshaw said, conservative criticisms of intersectionality weren't really aimed at the theory. Identity simply wouldn't matter unless, of course, they actually do. And the people at the top of our current identity hierarchy are more concerned about losing their spot than they are with eliminating those hierarchies altogether. Colston concluded, to Crenshaw, the most common critiques of intersectionality, that the theory represents a, quote, new caste system, are actually affirmations of the theory's fundamental truth that individuals have individual identities that intersect in ways that impact how they're viewed, understood, and treated. Black women are both black and women, but because they are black women, they endure specific forms of discrimination that black men or white women might not. The Senate hearings and eventual confirmation of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson as a Supreme Court Justice over the past few weeks have been a showcase for how intersectionality works. In her opinion piece, Judge Jackson's long journey to the court and ours, published in the Washington Post on April 9th, 2022, Michelle L. Norris offered an explanation for why so many fear the accurate teaching of U.S. history and race relations. She wrote, quote, America had long been invested in the separation of races, and to be more specific, the automatic privilege that comes with white skin. The vestiges of slavery and segregation are still with us, and yet we find ourselves in a time when the party that so viciously opposed Jackson's nomination wants to eviscerate the teachings and discussions of our nation's racial history and focus instead on the progress America has made. They argue that we shouldn't dwell on all that old-timey stuff like chains and shackles and dogs or horses and white hoods and black bodies swinging from trees. Well, to understand and fully appreciate the progress we've made, you need more than a passing understanding of the dark places Americans dwelled within the sanction of law to keep bodies in bondage, to keep people oppressed, to keep human beings in a subjugated state that mocks the core tenets of our Constitution. John Fritz of USA Today noted on April 9th in his article, Judge Jackson's Supreme Court confirmation adds diversity, ends idea of black seat, that Judge Jackson will bring wider perspectives to the high court. Fritz wrote, 
What has received less attention is that her ascension marks the first time two African-Americans will serve together on the nation's highest court. Thomas, a stalwart conservative, and Jackson, who's expected to align more with the court's liberal wing. Fritz continued, Jackson's ascension brings about an end to the notion of a, quote, black seat on the Supreme Court, occupied first by Associate Justice Thurgood Marshall from 1967 until 1991, the year Thomas was confirmed. Jackson's rise also means a broader diversity of views of African Americans, not to mention women, mothers, and lawyers who worked in the criminal justice system will be well represented on the nine-member bench. Not all African Americans have the same views, said Trina Jones, director of the Center on Law, Race, and Politics at Duke Law. There are different trajectories along their career and personal paths that will lead to different experiences. That's why more diversity, more representation is always preferred. Because you're going to get the full array of perspectives at the table. In the season two, episode one episode of my podcast titled Chaos or Common or Community, I discussed the misunderstanding and whitewashing of Dr. King's works and legacy. I invite you to listen to that episode as well. Dr. King never advocated for ignoring race or racial differences, but rather recognizing, understanding, and embracing them. His dream was never of a colorblind society, but rather of a colorful society. In his article, The Second Assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., King's Nightmare of Racism is being presented as his dream, in the October 14th, 2021 article of the Atlantic Magazine, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi discussed the efforts by politicians like Josh Mandel to warp the life and teachings of Dr. King to fit their political purposes. Dr. Kendi wrote, they disregard King's worry about the effects of not teaching black history including white people internalizing notions of superiority and black people internalizing notions of inferiority. Dr. Kendi added, but all of this disregarding of King's words has not been the worst of it. The distortions are what's truly lethal to his legacy, such as the claim that King's dream was for his four little children to live in a nation where despite numerous racial disparities, no one judges racism or mentions skin color. And everyone judges only character because a hierarchy of character is apparently causing the inequities. King's nightmare of racism is being presented as King's dream. Those who distort King's dream are now also distorting critical race theory and distorting CRT to distort King.
Kendi noted, Bernice King invited Josh Mandel in response to his Ohio rally speech in September 2021, quote, to study my father's teaching in full and in context. He was not a drum major for a colorblind society, but for justice. Mandel shot back, quote, spare me your lectures. Martin Luther King Jr. III tweeted at Mandel, quote, I don't see liberals stomping on my father's grave. I see a GOP effort to whitewash history. But unfortunately, the story didn't end last fall. Josh Mandel released the campaign ad in April 2022, showing him at Alabama's storied Edmund Pettus Bridge, claiming that Martin Luther King Jr. didn't march in Selma so that, quote, critical race theory could be taught in schools. But because, quote, Martin Luther King marched right here so skin color wouldn't matter. The great irony of the critics of critical race theory, Ohio's House Bill 616, and other proposed legislation like it, is that it's not only bad policy, it's bad pedagogy. We know that ignoring difficult issues like prejudice and race does not make them go away. And that explicit, targeted teaching about racism and prejudice is the most effective way to combat and eliminate it. The Aspen Institute noted in its paper called United We Learn that, quote, research shows that teaching students about the history and current manifestations of racism has overwhelmingly positive effects for all students. While it's important to address other inequities, such as poverty and disability status, a national debate has erupted about speech codes limiting teachers' ability to teach about race and racism. Teachers need support to improve their practice in this area. But avoiding teaching about race and racism is detrimental to students' learning and healthy development. Executive Director of the Aspen Institute, Ross Weiner, and Dr. Francisca Lopez of Penn State University, in their article entitled, Ignoring Racism in Schools Actually Increases Prejudice, was published March 29th, 2022, in Education Week. In that article, they wrote, quote, Research suggests three attributes of effective practice when teaching about race and racism. First, teaching on these topics must be academically rigorous. It doesn't do students any good to have watered down lessons, especially on topics as serious and important as race. Second, instruction on race and racism should reflect cultural competence, meaning that students' backgrounds and context should be taken into account to create connections 
between their lived experience and what they learn in school. Finally, good teaching about race and racism promotes students' ability to interrogate why things are the way they are and whether or how they should be otherwise, sometimes referred to as critical thinking or critical consciousness. They concluded, we know from research that ignoring racism in schools increases prejudice while explicit teaching about race and racism reduces prejudice and improves student learning. Dr. Kendi summarized in his Atlantic article, quote, the second assassination is about King and hardly about King at all. If Mandel is an avatar of the snipers, then King is an avatar of history. The second assassination of King is the latest assassination of history. The war on science, on expertise, on facts, on journalism, on democracy, necessitates a concomitant war on history. And the war on history is the war on education, as history is essentially educational. If an anti-racist king can be turned into a colorblind conservator of racism, then anyone and anything from history can be assassinated. Pro-slavery founding fathers can be recast as having been, quote, against slavery. Racist Confederate rebels can be recast as, quote, not racist heroes deserving of monuments in town squares. Assassinating the reality of the past assassinates the reality of the present and creates a new simulated reality. In the simulated reality, critical race theory can be warped into being like Jim Crow, Anti-American insurrectionists who attacked the U.S. Capitol on January 6th can be presented as pro-American patriots. Education can be turned into indoctrination. And indoctrination can be turned into education. Teaching children that there's nothing special about their skin color can be turned into teaching children to hate their skin color. People organizing and writing against racism can be portrayed as, quote, race politics profiteers, as Mandel sadistically framed Bernice King. While some advocates of a colorblind and assimilationist approach may think that this is the best solution, they often ignore the costs. These approaches almost never have the goal of just making everyone the same, but of making everyone the same and white. In an interview with Elise Hu on March 22nd, 2022, for an episode of NPR's It's Been a Minute, Julissa Arce, author of the book, You Sound Like a White Girl, 
the case for rejecting assimilation, argued that, quote, assimilation to me has meant giving up a part of my very soul in order to have the illusion of belonging in America. Odyssey continued, I think the other coin of assimilation, it's, you know, you sort of give up all these parts of yourself and you start to believe in the lies of assimilation. And when I looked back historically and saw all the attempts, the failed attempts of my community to belong in America, it also did so much harm to us and it ruptured many ties with other communities because we were always aspiring to whiteness. And so we were always trying to distance ourselves from black Latinos, from indigenous Latinos. We were trying to say, you know, the farther we are from them, the closer we are to whiteness, the more we'll be protected. And that's never worked out in our favor. Not once. Odyssey concluded, I also think that, you know, we have to recognize all the ways in which Latino culture and black culture and Asian culture and all these other cultures are American cultures too, you know? So my biggest hope is that none of us, none of us get to dictate how other people are American. If the sponsors and supporters of House Bill 616 were truly interested in parents' rights, quality education, and eliminating divisive and racist concepts, then they would focus on harm and hate, not pride and identity. Diversity, equity, and inclusion outcomes, intersectionality, and the 1619 Project don't divide or cause harm. They lead to understanding, provide historical context, and encourage people to embrace all parts of their heritage instead of forcing them to shed or reject their cultures. For a country founded on freedoms, it is indeed un-American to dictate how to be American. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and that you found something in it to spark a deeper conversation leading to greater understanding. I'm Milton Allen Turner, and I invite you to join me again next week for more worldviews.